Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 for the better part of uh, uh, really the, the, the heart of this, this passage or this, this series is entitled Illuminate out of Matthew 5 and verse 14 where it says, Ye are the light of the world. And, and so we're going to jump through a number of different things. We're not going to spend three weeks just on that passage. But um, this morning we're going, to, we're going to be in Matthew 5 as the, the bulk of, of this morning's message. And so we're going to look at the idea of illuminate and the idea of the main word this morning, I guess you could say, would be influence. And as we look at uh, verse 13 says, you're the salt of the earth. And verse 14 says, you're the light of the world. And, and I wish I had uh, all the time to really do this and to go back into to all of Matthew chapter 5. If you jump back prior to any of those things, you have Jesus speaking and teaching, blessed are the poor, blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are, the, are they which do hunger and thirst, blessed are merciful, blessed, and he goes on and on and on, and he's, he's kind of teaching the disciples, and he's, he's giving them some of the things as, as we are, and then he comes to this passage, in ver, or this verse in 13, and he, he says, and you are the light, or the salt of the earth. And then in, in 14, and you are the light of the world. And basically he's, he's taking all of those things that he just told them and he says, and as you go into your everyday life, this is who you are. You'll stand out. You'll, you'll be a little bit different as you take a hold of and as we grasp a hold of all of these blesseds that are up and prior to that. And he comes to this place and he looks at and he says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And he looks there and really looks at that thought there, the influence that we have. Each one of us lives according to, as we live according to those teachings, according to those things, our character, our influence will be such as of Christ. And as we, as we continue to go through this, and I'll, I'll say this just in the introduction here, but as we live our lives... And I don't think I need to tell you all of this because it's nothing that you, you know or you don't know. But you influence people whether you realize you influence, influence people or not. There's been so many times in my life where people have came back to me and said something about an influential thing that I did or said. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like it just, I didn't realize that. I think of when I was in college, there was a kid and I, was, I worked with junior high when I was in college for four years. And there was this kid, and, and he was, I'm not a big guy by any means, and you can, you can tell that, but that's, and that's okay. But this kid was in like sixth or seventh grade, and he had to have been 600, or 600, six, six foot. And he was, pushing, he was pushing 200. He was a big kid. I mean, he wasn't just fat. He was a big kid. And every time I would see this kid, I would just walk by him, and I would slap him on his shoulder. I thought nothing of it. It was just me kind of being me. And if you see me around and I see kids, I'll, I'll rub their head or I'll kind of slap their back or I'll do something. It's teenagers, I'll slap them. I'll tell them how, if it's a guy, I'll tell them how ugly they are or whatever it is. I'll just say silly things and I'll hit them. I'll do something just to kind of say hey and get their attention. So over the course of time, this kid, every time I see him on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, 
I would just kind of hit him. And one day after church, he comes up to me and he goes, well, Aaron. I say, hey, what's going on? He goes, you didn't hit me today. And I'm like, I, I literally was like, what are you talking? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, well, you didn't hit me today. And I said, I don't hit you. I, I don't ever hit you. And he goes, no, every time you walk by me, you slap me and say, hey, and you didn't slap me today. As silly as that illustration is, I did not realize that was an affirmation to that young man. I noticed him and I said hello to him and there was an influence that I had on his life on something so, 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 so silly and so simple. We influence people's lives in so many different avenues and aspects of the things that we do. God's word says what? No man lives to himself, no man dies to himself. Woodrow Wilson told a story of being in a barber shop and getting his hair cut. And he says this, I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. Now, I'm not a historian. I've not studied Woodrow Wilson. But I believe he was a powerful individual, if I'm not mistaken, correct? When... He makes reference that a powerful personality had had walked into the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. Every word that man uttered, though it was not in in the least didactic, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware I had attended an evangelistic service because D.L. Moody was in that chair. I purposefully lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts, and I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. That was Woodrow Wilson's account of sitting next to D.L. Moody at a barbershop not having a conversation with him, not anything other than listening to the conversation that he had with the man who was cutting his hair. And you might say, well, what does that have to do with kind of the sermon that we're getting at? And I'll I'll come back to that at the end again. But when we look at our lives, we affect so many different people and we influence people. I will tell you this. I read that story and I thought to myself, because I had just two days prior to reading this, got my hair cut. And I thought to myself, when I leave the barbershop, does anybody care that I came in or left the barbershop? I don't know, guys. Maybe I'm just a typical guy like many of you. I go to sports clips. Not that you care, but I go to sports clips because there's a television in front of me and I can watch Sports Center or I can watch the game that's on TV. I really don't have to talk to anybody. Because that's how I like it. I can get my hair cut, I can watch the game, and I can go home. I left, I read this story and I thought to myself, have I ever, I've been going to the same lady for the last six to nine months, have I ever left her feeling that she was important or any of those things that anybody around me would think, wow, that guy over there really elevated and lifted up that lady. He cared 
in his conversation about who she was. Now, she doesn't have children. She has dogs, which I'm not a dog lover, so that's a really hard conversation to me. But I I left, and after I read that, I was thinking to myself, in my conversations, do people leave being elevated or lifted up? Woodrow, or D.L. Moody, was salt and light while he was there getting his hair cut. He was sold and that he slowed down. He stopped the negative talk or what could have become negative talk there at that barber shop. He was lightened that when, when Wilson left, he had a sense of being in a service. Moody was being the light of Christ in that service there or in that chair on that day. Maybe you would think of it in this sense. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, I believe this is on the screen, but in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, starting in 14, it says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. And here's where I want to kind of get to. And maketh manifest, I'm sorry, I thought I was in the wrong place. And make it manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. That verse says this, if I were to kind of go back, and your, your version of the Bible may even say this, but maketh manifest the, the, the uh, aroma of his knowledge by us in every place. Think about that. The aroma of Christ ought to be with us everywhere we go and that as we go and as we come and go into different locations or different places, that literally as we are there, the aroma of Christ comes out of us. Have you ever been in a place and somebody walks in and you just know that man or that woman is a believer in Christ? The Holy Spirit is on that person. That's how we are to live our lives. That is the salt and the light that is talking about, that we would be that aroma, that we would be the savor in every place. It says also to the, to the saved and also to them that perish. In 1 Peter chapter 2, a very familiar passage of Scripture, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse number 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should what? Show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are called to be salt and light. As we continue this morning, and I'm going to get to the the salt and the light of this passage of Scripture, but I want to just kind of lay a little bit of a foundation. G. Campbell Morgan says, Jesus, looking out over the multitudes of his day, saw the corruption, the the disintegration of life at every point, its breakup, its spoilation. And because of his love of the multitudes, he knew the thing that they needed most was salt in order that the corruption should be arrested. He saw them also wrapped in gloom, sitting in darkness, groping amid mists and fog. He knew that they needed above everything else light. See, this morning as we get into this salt and light, and I'll be real honest, I've looked at this, I've read this passage probably my whole life as a child. I've sung the song, This Little Light of Mine. We've done all those things. 
when I studied this this week, it just blew my mind the reality of really what salt is and how it affects me in everyday life and how it ought to affect me in everyday life and the same thing with light. We all have a worldview. As a believer, our worldview ought to be a Christ-like worldview, but as a believer, we could all stay, or, or I hope that you would say, that we live in a world that is full of corruption and that is decayed. The world in which we live is not getting better. It's just not. Second Timothy says this, But evil men and seducers shall wax, it says, worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We are in a place that doesn't have the ability to do anything but become worse. There is no inherent goodness to the world in which we live. Man's knowledge has improved, yet his morals have progressively degenerated. His confidence has increased, yet his peace of mind has diminished. His accomplishments have increased, his sense of purpose, yet his sense of purpose and his meanings have all but disappeared. Instead of proving the morale or the moral and spiritual qualities of life, our discoveries and accomplishments have provided a better way to express and promote depravity faster and more destructively. We have simply invented more and more ways to corrupt and destroy ourselves. The reality of who we are is that we are infected with a deadly virus called sin. And there is but one cure, and that cure is God. It is Jesus Christ, it is the love that God has for us, that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet stuck in our trespasses, while we were yet stuck in our addictions, while we were stuck in our pride, while we were stuck in deception, Christ died for us. See, though we live in a day and age where we have more and more things, I hold in my hand a iPad, many of you have them in your laps, you hold in your hands cell phones where you no longer carry a Bible anymore, you have your cell phone or your Bible app on your phone, and I'm not saying that's bad, but you hold that in your hand. You hold the world, we hold the world in the palm of our hands with our technology that we've created. Yet in all of the knowledge, and all of the creativity, and all of the, the things that, that the, the brains that God has given us, enabling us to do these things, we've created more and more and more ways to fall. And we've created more and more and more ways to do so many things. See, our knowledge is growing and growing, and we are gaining more and more knowledge, but that knowledge is mechanical, inanimate, lifeless, that has no bearing on the inner man. Our knowledge does not retard or slow down our corruption, but rather intensifies and gives us a meaning to defend the things that we do. Scientists have even proposed and attempted by careful stimulation of the brain that a person's bad impulses could be eradicated, leaving only the better part of his nature. You can try and you can do all of these things through science you can go have a baby and they can go inside and tell you the, the good genes and the bad genes and if you're going to have this ailment or that ailment or if you want blonde hair or blue eyes or this or that. And we can try to do those things and we can try to create this perfection. But here's the problem with it. Every ounce in us is corrupt. Everything inside of us is corrupt. So you could say, okay, doctor, here's what I need. I need you to take out the addiction side of my brain. 
take out the thing that stimulates addiction and he could take all that out. Here's the problem. The rest of my brain is still corrupt. I'm still a sinner in need of a savior. And so as we go through all of these things and we look at this and we look at salt and we look at light and we, could, we can go through, David said it in Psalm 51, maybe better than anybody could say it, I was shaken in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. We're sinners. And Jesus teaches and Jesus says, in that passage, chapter number five of Matthew, you are the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. We go, we go from war to greater war, from crime to greater crime, perversion to greater perversion. The spiral of humanity is downward, not upward. You're like, wow, this is such an exciting and awesome service. You're giving me great. <laughs> no, you know, the reality is that's the world we live in. My intention this morning isn't to discourage you to think, wow, there's no hope. No, but here's where we're getting to, and here's, hang in there with me. We are the only hope that's in this world. Now let me rephrase that. Christ in and through us is the hope in this world. I think pridefully we think we're the hope of the world. The reality is Christ is the hope of the world. So as we go through this, and we'll get into to this passage of Scripture, In Matthew chapter number 5, if you have your Bible, some of you are probably already there, but Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, I'm going to read four verses, and then I've got four very, very simple points this morning. This series is really more practical application of the gospel of Jesus Christ than it is me giving you incredible, incredible, profound thoughts, though there will be some of those in there because that's... I don't know, there may not be, but I like to think there is. But in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, it says this, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, this morning I come to you. God, I ask that your word would be presented. Lord, I ask that you would go before, that you would speak Father, as John said, that I would hide behind the cross. That you would be elevated, that I would be decreased and you would be increased. Father, I pray this morning as we look at salt and light. Father, a passage of scripture, many in this room could possibly just tune out right now because they've heard sermons over and over all throughout their lives. God, I ask that you speak so boldly to our hearts this morning. God, I pray that we would leave different from when we came. God, if there's one that does not know you, Lord, that they would come to you. That they would know you as personal Savior. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. This morning, the first point is salt. How profound is that, right? Salt. 
Very simple. I've seen and heard this passage many times, as many of you have. Let me tell you a little bit about what salt is. I was sharing this with somebody, and they thought that I needed to have science experiments on stage, and I apologize that I have no science experiments for you today, because I really don't even like science that much. But at any rate, actually, science is really cool, but I don't care how it happens. Is anybody else like that? Like, let me see it blow up. Don't tell me how it blows up. That's kind of my idea of science. Anyway, all right, let's go. So, the function of salt. The function of salt is to resist decay. It can't change something from corruption to incorruption. It can only prevent or retard it. Salt is used to hold decay and purification at bay. Again, we would know this, and we've been... We've heard this a million times. Pre-refrigeration, they used salt to further along the decay process. The meat was going to die. The meat will die. It'll, it'll be bad eventually, just like in your refrigerator. It's going to go bad sometime, but it furthers along. The salt furthers that process along, enabling it to stay for a few days or whatever that would be. So it gives us, it, it retards that decay Yet it can't change the fact that it would decay. It just simply furthered that process. Salt is a miracle. Chemically composed of sodium and chloride. Pour a little hydrochloric acid on your hand and it will burn away in no time. Drink some of it and you will die in agony in a very short period of time. Yet if you add sodium to it, you have salt. One of the most valuable substances ever given A substance needed for life. In the Greek period, they called it theon, which means divine. Romans held that except for the sun, nothing was more valuable than salt. There were even times when salt was given to the soldiers as their pay, as opposed to finances or money. Which is where, if you've heard the saying, not worth his salt... Came from. It was also used as a mark of friendship. Two people would share salt as a way of mutually agreeing to look after each other's welfare. In the Near East, it was used to bind a covenant similar to how we would use a notary today. They would eat salt together before witnesses. The covenant was then authenticated. Now that to me is very weird hey, let's go have some salt together and we're going to make sure that this is a stamp of approval. But that's how important they held on to what salt was. So the reference to salt was very well known and understood, especially the importance as Jesus made reference to them being the salt of the earth. Now how does that affect or how does that apply to you and I on a daily basis? can really be a number of different things. I was reading different commentaries and different people would point out different things. Some pointed out that it was white and therefore white is purity and and so on and so forth. I'm going to give you a couple of them. One is that salt creates a sting. Anybody ever put salt in one of your cuts? Doesn't feel good. Played a lot of baseball, a lot of different sports and when I would get calluses some of you may think I'm the biggest moron in the world I would cut them open and I would put salt in it to dry it out it hurt like nobody's business but it stopped hurting it was done I would 
But when that was over, it was over. It hurts, it stings. Salt placed in the sore or a wound stings and burns. It is the belief of some that we as the church are to be the sting or be that sting into the world, into the the society in which we live. We are to prick the conscience of the world. We are the presence of God in society, the world in which we live. Though I don't think any of us intentionally go out to sting or to hurt or to do that, the reality of it is, if you've been stung by a bee, if you've been stung by the sting of salt in a cut, if you've had any of those experiences, it is natural that you, you flinch, you jump, you, you kind of fight back, you, you, you become defensive. If a bee is around, we swat at it, we don't want to get stung. The same way the message of the gospel is to people. Have you ever felt guilty? The sting of being wrong? What do we naturally do? We throw up defenses. Naturally. We are to be that into the society. Another thought is that salt makes us thirsty. Salt increases the body's cravings for thirst. And as a believer, we are to live our lives and that people would have a a desire, a thirst for the word of God that we would draw that And place that into people's hearts. But let me wrap this point up with this thought. If we are to be the preserver and I am to be salt into the culture in which I live. If I am to be that and we understand that this world is full of corruption. And we understand that this world is decaying and that it's it's not getting better and it will not get better. And I am to be salt. I am to be the, the one that's, that's, that's holding back, so to speak, that's slowing down that moral decay. What happens when the rapture takes place and all of God's people are gone from this earth? What happens? Well, if we go to God's Word, it says that there's a seven years... And in that seven year period of time, basically it's just rapid decay of the society, the earth in which we live. There is no hope. Have you ever been somewhere and presented or know they know who you are? Maybe you go to your family and they they respect you enough that you're a believer in Jesus Christ and that you live a life a certain way that when you walk into their home they no longer smoke or they no longer curse or they no longer watch certain things on television or they do those things. Have you ever been in that situation? I have. Let me share with you what you are. You are being salt in their lives. The, the, The decay is still there. But you are furthering that decay along because you are being salt in their life. We are to be that salt. I'll be real honest. I've joked about this many, many times when I would go somewhere, getting a haircut, go anywhere, and somebody would curse or say something, and then throughout conversation, oh, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm so sorry I said all those things. I never really put much thought of that. But what that is, is I'm salt in that situation. Can I change the corruption? Does salt change it? No. It can't change it from bad to good. It just simply decays the process along. 
God's word tells us in verse number 13 that ye, you, I, me, we are the salt of the earth. Hey, we are here for the reason of slowing down the decaying process. And in that, we are to share God's love. We are to tell others. We are to live those, that life. Let's go on. The next point is light. I will go back to the rest of that passage, but if your salt has lost its savor, I didn't forget that part. You're the light of the world. As salt deals with moral Light deals with spiritual. Salt relates to our character. Light relates to our conduct. Salt deals with what a, person's, a person is. Light with what a person does. Light removes darkness. However, we really can't describe so much of what light exactly is other than we know that light eliminates darkness. It, like salt, is a miracle. John 9, 5 says what? I am the Light of the world. Just as the verse that we just read, ye are the light of the world. The only way that you and I can be light of the world is if he is shining in us and through us. The only way that that happens is as you and I live our lives glorifying God and becoming more and more and more and more like him every single day that we live and striving to be Christ-like. We're to go to Revelation in verse number 20 or chapter 21 it says in verse 23 And the city had no need of the sun neither of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God did lighten it and the lamb is the light thereof If you go to the next chapter in verse 22 and verse number 5 it says something very very similar And there shall be no light there and they need no candle neither light of the sun for the Lord God giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever God is the light. He is the light of the world. You know, the only way that there's light on earth is you and me. Think about that thought. The only way that there is spiritual light on this earth is you and I. That's it. You take us out, what happens? God's word says it. Total destruction. There is nobody to slow it down. There is nobody to say, hey, that's probably not a good idea. As much sometimes as I like to, to scream and shout and, and, and say certain things and go to the government and say, whoa, time out, time out. You're just running over Christianity and you're just doing whatever you want. You want to do all those things. The reality of it is, even with all of the political corruption and the things that take place every single day, which have taken place for all of our time, and will continue to take place. God's people are the only light that slows any of those processes down. And there's coming a day God, when God is going to come down and take all of his children out. You and I are the light. We are to be that light, that reminder of the existence of God, the authority of God. How do we do that? By living as he taught. Verses 1 through 12. By doing the things that we are commanded to do. 
We are to live in the will of God and do all that we can to grow more and more daily in Christ's likeness. Light is much more obvious where salt is more hidden. Salt works from within while light from without. Salt is an indirect influence of the gospel while light is more its direct communication. Salt works primarily through our living while light through what we teach and what we preach. Salt can retard corruption but cannot change corruption. Light not only reveals the wrong, but helps produce righteousness and truth. David wrote in Psalm 36, 9, I believe it's in on the, the screen there, but that God is light. 1 John 5, or 1, verses 5 through 7, makes reference of the same exact thing. In 1 John 1, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. It is in Christ only that there is light and that we have light. And it is our job to do all that we can to know Christ more and to do that more and more and more in all of the things that we do throughout our daily life, whether it be your reading time or your prayer time or whatever it is, but everything that we do to grow closer and more in love with Him. As we do that, we are naturally shining forth that light into everything that we do. We are to proclaim God's light in a world engulfed with darkness. The only light in the world today is you and I who believe in Christ. There is no light in darkness. And in order to illuminate, the light must be visible. We must be more than just indirect influence of salt. We must be a direct, noticeable instrument of light. It's in the midst of the day where our light must shine in our houses and the buildings in which we are in to stand out in the landscape. But yet in the evening, our lights are shining through the windows of our homes, making it impossible not to be seen. Lights are to illuminate, not to be hid. They are to be displayed, not hidden. God didn't give the gospel to His Son that it would be a hidden treasure from some, but yet that it was given to all, that all may know Him, and that all could offer His free gift of salvation. The next point is, these next two are pretty quick this morning, but the next point is danger. See, if we go back to 13, we go back to 13, we we read, we talked about you're the salt of the earth, and it says then, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden, under the foot of men. See, here's the reality. Salt will always be salt. But not all salt is pure. I don't know how many in this room has ever, have ever had the opportunity to go to the Dead Sea, but the Dead Sea is a lot of salt. A lot. So much so, you jump in, you float. But if you've been there, you've also tasted the sea The salt is absolutely disgusting. It doesn't taste like the salt you put on your food. Why? Because this. 
though there is a great amount of salt, it is contaminated by gypsum and other minerals. But yet it is still salt. But that salt is worthless in how we would use salt for the food and the things that we use. Now they use it for different skin things and all that, but it's worthless for how, what we're talking about. And so when, when, this, when the, the scripture is talking, when Jesus is teaching and he says, if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? He's saying this, when, when they would get their salt and when they would go through it and when they would taste or they would do those things and it would be bitter and it would be wrong, they would literally just take it and throw it out. And they wouldn't just take it and throw it out into every, anything because if they threw it on their plants, it's going to kill the plants. So they would take it and they would just throw it in the walkway and where it would be walked on and trodden over because there it's not going to destroy any of the other plants or vegetation or any of those things. It's just worthless. Here's the danger for you and me. You and I as a believer in Jesus Christ, we cannot lose the salvation that God has given to us. However, we can lose the savor of our life, so to speak. We can have contamination like the salt in the Dead Sea has gypsum and many other minerals that make that salt worthless. They just throw it out and walk on it and trodden over it. Just like you and I can become, for lack of a better term, worthless for the cause of Christ as we are contaminated with so many other things that we are no longer salt. We're just kind of tossed aside. When you walk into the room, nobody goes, whoa, we probably shouldn't say those things because you're in the midst of them saying it with them. Whoa, we probably shouldn't do those things because you're in the midst doing it with them. God says, you are to be the salt of the earth. And if that salt has lost its savor, Wherewith shall it be salted? What can we do with it? For it is good for nothing but to be thrown out, to be cast out, to be trodden under the foot of men. It can't become unsalted no more than you and I can become unsaved. But it can lose its value. It can lose its value. You know what a scary thing is to me in my life? That I would lose my value as a man of God, not as a pastor, as just a man of God, as a believer in Christ. You know how I don't lose that value? Is that I stay engaged in who Christ is. That my desire is not for Aaron Flanagan, but that my desire is for Jesus Christ and Him alone. That my desire is to grow in Him. That my desire is to understand and to see the corruption in the, the world in which I live And more than just see it, but allow God to break my heart for it and say, God, how can I be the salt in this world? How can I be the light in the world to help? Here's what is incredibly awesome. And if this doesn't blow your mind about God, I don't really know how to help in some of these ways, but here's what I know. Jesus Christ, God, works through you and works through me. This is the same God who basically snapped his fingers and there was light. This is the same God who took dirt, put it together, and created man. This is the same God who said, let there be, and there was. But yet he's chosen. 
you and he's chosen me. He's chosen us to have an opportunity to be salt and light. He doesn't really need us. That's a really humbling thought because we are very, very, very prideful people. But he doesn't need us. He, he, he doesn't, but here's what he does. He uses us, and we get to be a part of what he is doing. Church, as we continue to press on and as we continue to move forward and see what God's going to do at Oasis and how God's going to use us into this city and into this, the, the community in which we live and the, the world outside of our walls, both in the states and outside, we have to be salt. We have to be a part of that process that's, that's going out there. And if that means that, that I have to speak the truth, which is God's word, which I'm going to do, I'm not stopping that, and that stings somebody a little bit, then I have to keep doing that. And if that means within your family, by you being salt, you're stinging somebody, some, so to speak, a little bit, then you have to keep doing that. We have to. We have to. Why? Because I can, I can become salt that is so contaminated that I'm literally just thrown out and trodden underfoot. Worthless. Having no value. You've watched it on television. You've seen pastor after pastor after Christian leader after Christian leader who has thrown away their testimony for the sake of money, for the sake of sex, for the sake of so many different things. We've all seen that. You know what they've done? The same thing that all of us could be doing. Let's just say that, right? I'm not speaking ill of anybody. The reality is the man you're staring at is just as culpable and capable of any of those things, just like each one of you are. But anyway, let's get back to it. They've made the value that they once had almost worthless. Now there's some of them who have been restored and brought back into ministry in different areas and have different things going on, but you understand the heart behind it. Our value is diminished because there's corruption that we've allowed to to seep in. As we begin to wrap up, Christian assuming You have accepted Christ as Savior. We can't lose our salvation. We can, however, lose the value. We can become compromised or lose the influence that we once had. Pure salt doesn't lose its saltiness, which makes its value and effect. Christians who are pure in heart do not become tasteless, ineffective, and useless for the kingdom of God. Just like salt, light is in danger of being useless. So many people do what, they, what is mentioned here, what Jesus teaches. Neither do men put a light under a can, light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and give it light, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let me, let me say this to you. If you're going to proclaim Christ, then proclaim it. If you're going to proclaim it, proclaim it. 
don't tell everybody that you go to Oasis, but yet you don't want to live and proclaim Christ. Because you're proclaiming Christ, and yet you're putting yourself underneath that bushel. You're saying, I want to be this light, but I really don't want to be the light. You're saying, I want to, but I, I, I'm not capable of, or I can't. Let me, let me tell you this as we go to this last point. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Each one of you has a call by God on your life. Your call may not be to stand and be a preacher. Your call may not be whatever, but each one of you has been given a gift by God. And let your light shine. Let it shine. I don't ever want my kids to go, well, that's my dad. I I want my kids to always be able to say, that's my dad. I get they're going to be teenagers and they're all going to be embarrassed and I'm probably going to do a few things to make them embarrassed. But I don't want my kids to be embarrassed of the name Flanagan. No more than my father wants me to be embarrassed of the name Flanagan. I don't know what Flanagan means throughout all of history. I don't know that it really matters, to be real, real honest. But here's what I do know. I'm proud to be a Flanagan. Why? Because I'm proud to say that's my parents. I'm proud to say those are my grandparents. I'm proud to say that's the lineage that God has put me in. I'm proud of that. You cannot take that away from me. And just as I can be proud and I can stand up and I can put Flanagan on the back of my my shirt or I can do whatever those things are and I can say, I'm a Flanagan and I'm proud of it and those are my parents and I'm proud of it. The same and 10 million whatever times more that I should be able to say, that is my father and I'm proud of it. Here's the light. Let it shine before men. Why? And the last point is this, for God's glory. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Church, here's the the conclusion of this message this morning. My job, my purpose, my goal, whatever you want to call that, is but one thing, is to bring honor and glory to God. You as a believer, me as a believer, should have one purpose. We talked a little bit about it last week with Paul. He had but one purpose, was to bring honor and glory to God. That he did it through what? Through the preaching and teaching of God's word, that he would share that gospel with as many as he could for the honor and glory of God. In everyday living, in everything that we do, it should be that our light would shine, not so that you see me. I pray God takes me out of this place before I ever stand up here on a pulpit and say, look how great Aaron Flanagan is. Or that I would feel that and preach it differently. Why? Because it's not about me. This church, Oasis Baptist Church, is not about me. It's not about you. It's about bringing honor and glory to Him. As we bring honor and glory to Him, He'll fill these chairs. He'll do the things that we need to do. We're not the biggest and best place in town, nor is Central, nor is any other church. 
He's the biggest and best thing in town. And as we learn to glorify Him, and as we learn to love Him, and as we learn to honor Him and to worship Him, that's all that we can do. It's for His honor and for His glory. You want to have a light shine in a city on a hill? That's when it happens. You want to make a difference in our community? Let your light shine. Be the salt. Not because you have a cool building, not because you wear a cool suit, not any of those things. Let your light so shine before men that God would be glorified. And if anything else happens, it isn't right. If it ever gets to a place that Aaron Flanagan is put on a pedestal at this place, it isn't right and I need to be gone. Somebody put that in notes. And when it happens, you remind me and tell me. Because it can't ever be about a man. It can't ever be about you. If it's in my home and it's about me and my wife and not about him, it's wrong. I want my home light to shine in the cul-de-sac in the neighborhood in which I live. I want Oasis to shine wherever in the world we may be, but I want it to shine, not because of anything that we do, but because of God's glory being shining through each of our lives. Illumination. Kind of an introduction for the next two weeks. As we wrap up this morning, I'm going to go into a time of invitation. That story of Woodrow Wilson, I hope that it kind of makes sense to, to look back at a little bit of that. Because Woodrow Wilson was salt in that little barbershop, and he was light in that barbershop. He didn't have to stand up and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ like he would in a big revival. Or not Woodrow Wilson, D.L. Moody. He didn't have to do that. What did he do? He was a light. He was a salt. He lived his life. He had a conversation. And in the midst of that conversation, a man walked out of a barbershop feeling as if he walked out of a place of worship. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you, or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day.